We are in the second week of our Advent series. And if you weren't here last week or you just don't remember, uh, the word Advent means uh, the coming, that, that something is on the way. And last week we talked about how the early church decided they, that they all had to get on the same page. Because early on when they first started, the church in Ephesus would have looked much different than the church in Corinth. And so about the 4th century, when persecution started to die down, they decided, hey, we need to kind of get on the same page and start figuring out exactly what this church thing is and what it's all about. So they got together, and one of the things they came up with was the Christian calendar. We mentioned last week that the Christian calendar is an annual schedule that um, commemorates certain days and certain seasons to help us remember the important acts of God in the history of redemption. And so the Christian calendar begins on the first Sunday of Advent, which was last week. And so last week was uh, the first Sunday of the year on the Christian calendar. Advent makes up the, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve. And it's a time for us to slow down. It's a time for us to prepare for the coming of the Christ. Right, church? We believe that, that Jesus didn't just come some 2,000 years ago, but we believe that Jesus is coming back in the flesh. Amen? Amen? And so Advent is that time where we prepare for the coming of our Lord. Last week, we looked at the Magi, or the wise men, and we looked at how they responded to the birth of Jesus. And so today, I want to move on from the uh, Magi, the wise men. I want us to look at the shepherds. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It'll be on the screen here in a moment. I've shared before in, in sermons, and I'm sure I've done it here, and I know I do it in other churches, that I love movies. I have a love of movies. At one point, I know I had over 300 movies in my collection. Uh, I used to really be into collecting movies. I don't collect them anymore, uh, but I still love movies. And I know exactly when my love of movies was born. I was a kid. I was living in, in Roswell. I'm not sure how old I was, but I was in elementary school. And there was a kid who lived next door to us who was in high school. And one day, I don't know why, but my brother and I, we were at his house. And he looked at us and he said, do you want to watch a movie? And I said, sure, I'll watch a movie. And I can still remember him uh, getting the VHS tape. All right, and put it into the VCR, right? I can still remember the sound. And I, I, I then sat there for the next 99 minutes just mesmerized by what I was watching. Now, the movie, for those who are wondering, was Escape from New York, <laughs> starring Kurt Russell. Y'all remember that movie, all right? I, 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 granted, I should not be watching the movie as a kid, all right? I never told my parents I saw the movie as a kid, but I remember that movie being shown, and I was just mesmerized. I didn't know exactly what I was looking at, but I knew whatever that was, I wanted to do that. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It changed my life. Snake Plissken became my hero, right? <laughs> Escape from New York led me to love movies. And so I read all the movie news I could get my hands on. I, I was on every movie website and the talkbacks. I, I, I would argue with anyone about movies. I would tell everyone my opinion about movies. Yes, I annoyed everyone with my opinions about movies, but I didn't care, right? 
I knew I, I had the correct opinion of movies, right? And it was my job, nay, my duty to educate everybody else. I mean, how could I, in good conscience, allow people to watch horrible movies, right? I didn't want that for them. I love people too much. And so it was my job to save people from bad movies. And if you're wondering what a bad movie is, it's any movie that I think is bad. Um, that's what a bad movie is. And so if you're thinking, well, this must have made you very popular, you would be wrong. Um, but again, I didn't care because I had information that other people needed, or so I thought. And so if you like my opinion on a certain movie, you can talk to me after church, but just don't cry when I upset you and tell you it's a bad movie. But I know I'm not alone in, in, in stuff like this, right? When we love things, we tend to talk a lot about them, right? There's a good chance you love something enough to drive other people crazy about it, right? Some of you actually love the sport of basketball. I don't get it, but some of you love it, right? I had a roommate one time who loved basketball. He was a high school uh, teacher, and he coached uh, basketball at uh, Centennial High School for a while. And uh, we had to watch every single basketball game that was on the TV because it was his TV. And so it was just torture. Now, he didn't care, right? He didn't care what I thought. And so I would, I would have to either sit there on the sofa and watch the game or find something else to do. But because of my tendency of being annoyed about movies, I didn't exactly have much else to do because no one would hang out with me. So I would sit there and I'd watch basketball and I would just be miserable. But because my roommate loved basketball, he watched every game and then wanted to talk to me about it. What is it for you that you love that much? What is it in your life that you talk about more than anything? What is it in your life that has the power to dictate what you do and how you do it? Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's your children. But something in your life holds power over your life, right? It controls how and where you go. It controls how you speak. It controls what you speak. It controls how you work. It controls how you parent your children. What is it for you? So with that question on your mind, let's look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Luke records this. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will, be, that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angels had told them. Now, I believe there are three things the shepherds can teach us about how we respond to Jesus. 
The first is they hurried. The second is they spoke of what they saw. And the third is they changed how they lived and worked. They hurried. They spoke of what they saw. And then they changed how they lived and worked. Now I'm about to say something. Uh, and I will request that the peanut gallery remain quiet. And by peanut gallery, I mean my parents. Um, I am not known as the world's fastest guy. All right, that's just not who I am. I've always taken my time with things. And I think this may have driven my parents crazy from time to time, especially my dad. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, growing up, my brother Ray and I, we would take turns in cutting the grass. Um, and, and my brother and I, we were different in a lot of ways. And one of the ways uh, that we were different is how we would cut the grass. It was very different. Uh, it was very clear that we were different people in how we cut the grass. My brother Ray would basically run while he cut the grass. He would push that lawnmower and run in order to get it over with as quickly as possible. He wanted to move on to other things. Me, I had a different philosophy. I tried to make cutting grass last as long as I could. Not because I love cutting grass, but because I hated cutting grass. I would cut the grass for about 15 minutes and then come inside, oh, I need water, oh, I gotta sit down and rest. And I would drink my water and it would, I'd sit there for at least 30 minutes or more. And then I'd go back out and I'd cut the grass for another 15 minutes and then I would come inside, oh, I need water, oh my gosh. And then I would, I would sit there for another 30 minutes and this would go on all day, all day. I, it would take me to cut the grass and my parents are there going i know my dad's biting his tongue right now he wants to jump in so bad right now but keep your mouth closed thank you but this is how i would cut the grass right my parents they didn't understand why i didn't hustle as my brother did but hear me i'm not always slow i was cutting the grass but i don't think my parents ever had to tell me to hurry up when they were calling me to dinner right i don't think i ever crawled uh, to the school bus when school ended i always ran i don't think i ever took my time to leave the office the day before a vacation right Love, when we love things, it tends to speed us up, doesn't it? When we fall in love with someone, our heartbeat speeds up, right? We can't wait to spend time with them. We can't wait to see them. We, can't, uh, we won't let anything stand in our way of being with the one we love or doing the thing that we love. And so I find it interesting that the shepherds hurried to Bethlehem. The shepherds went from fairly idle, just kind of hanging out with their sheep, to hurrying to Bethlehem. You know, we have no record of them doing anything other than immediately hurrying to Bethlehem. Don't rush past that, right? These were shepherds. These were men who spent their time around dirty sheep. These were men who you would immediately know were shepherds by just being around them. They were probably dirty. They probably smelled and yet we have no record of them heading home first in order to freshen up. They didn't even stop at a local CVS to buy some Axe body spray. They just went directly to Bethlehem. The only thing they wanted was to be in the presence of the Messiah as quickly as possible. Would we say that we hurry to Jesus? Now, I don't mean we drive 20 miles over the speed limit on Sunday in order to make it to church on time. I'm sure you've done that before, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about do we have a sense of urgency 
when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. A sense of urgency that, that, that's born out of a love for Jesus. Hear me, I'm not talking about being impatient, but I am talking about an urgency. See, too many people think they need to get their life in order before they turn to Jesus. But I want you to understand something today, church. Your life will never be in order until you turn to Jesus. Too many people think that they need some biblical knowledge before they turn to Jesus. I want you to understand me. You don't even have to have a Bible before you turn to Jesus. When we understand we need Jesus, then we will run to Jesus. When we understand that we need Jesus, nothing's going to stop us from getting to him. This love of Jesus should compel us to rush to him as often as possible. But what does that look like? Where our love for Jesus should compel us to study the word of God. Our love for Jesus should compel us to pray. Our love for Jesus should compel us to worship. Our love for Jesus should uh, make us excited to spend time alone with him. Our love of Jesus should make spending time with him the most important thing in our lives. The thing that we cannot wait to do. The thing we rush to do. Is that you? Is there a sense of urgency to your relationship with Jesus? Right? You can't wait to read the Bible. You can't wait to get to church. You can't wait to serve him. Or are you a bit like I was when it came time to cut the grass? You'll spend a little time with Jesus because your parents or your spouse make you, but as soon as you can get a break, you take it. Or you feel like there are some things in your life you need to deal with first before you turn to Jesus. But again, your life will never be in order until you turn to Jesus. The second thing the shepherds teach us uh, is what, the second thing that the shepherds did was that they spoke of what they saw. They spoke of what they saw. Look back at the passage, verse 17 and 18. It says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Now, I have a confession to make uh, this morning, and I'll just say this right off the bat. Go dogs. Uh, amen? Uh, over the last few years, I have had, and I don't want to say hate because that would be a sin, um, but I've had some, I've had not very nice thoughts about the University of Alabama fans, all right? Uh, since 2007, they've won five national titles, and if you know any Al Alabama fans, you know you've heard about it all the time, right? All of, That's all they talk about. This year, they've been a little more quiet, uh, which is nice. I'm enjoying it. Uh, but normally, they just can't stop talking about Alabama football, and I get it, right? Uh, we usually talk about the things we love, whether it's a sports team or your kids, right? When we love something, we don't care how much we talk about it. Again, like I said, we will tell anyone who, who will listen uh, about how great our favorite team is or our favorite band is. We will force people to look at all 563 photos of our grandson's first birthday. I'm telling you, no one cares about his fir first birthday like you, but you're going to make him look at the photos, right? And yet, so few of his followers. Jesus' followers actually talk about Jesus outside of church. I mean, can you imagine going to see your favorite band in concert and then not saying anything about that concert afterwards? Of course not. And yet for many people in church, 
They don't talk about Jesus outside of these walls. We have allowed the culture to convince us that it is inappropriate to speak the name of Jesus outside of the church. In church, we sing about how Jesus sets the prisoner free, how Jesus breaks chains of addiction, how Jesus saves marriages, how Jesus restores families. But when we leave church and actually encounter prisoners or addictions or broken marriages or broken families, and dad, dumb it, that sermon crashed again. Enemy. When we leave church and we encounter these people who are suffering, we don't dare speak the name of Jesus into their suffering. Right? And we're so good at rationalizing our behavior. Right? We don't want to make people uncomfortable. We don't want to upset anyone. We, we don't want to risk not being invited to, to future parties. Right? It's like we're standing on a ship looking at someone drowning, but we refuse to throw the flotation device because we're afraid we might hit them in the head and make them angry. And so we let them drown. Now, if you don't love Jesus, then I don't expect you to talk about him. But if you do love Jesus, I don't know how you don't talk about him. See, the shepherds, they couldn't shut up about Jesus. It says they told everyone. They told everyone. And I would imagine not everyone wanted to hear, but it looks like the shepherds weren't really concerned about what other people wanted. They just told everyone about the Christ child. And we see this throughout the whole New Testament. Men and women who encounter Jesus and then cannot stop talking about him. Even though at a certain point to say you love Jesus meant that you'd be arrested and or killed. But we worry about not being invited to the next party. I'm going to say something, but I want you to know that I'm talking to myself first. Maybe, just maybe, we don't love Jesus as zealously as the early church did. I'm not saying that to make anyone feel bad. I'm saying that to simply challenge all of us, myself included. We all know we talk about that which we love. And so if your love of Jesus was measured by how much you told others about Jesus, how much would you say you actually love Jesus? Now look, if I'm the only person who's made uncomfortable by that question, that's fine. I'll preach to myself today. But I have a feeling that I'm preaching to someone else as well. If we would judge our love of Jesus by the amount, of, amount we talk about Jesus, would we say we actually love Jesus? The third thing the shepherds can teach us when it comes is when it comes uh, is, is how to respond uh, to Jesus, and it's this: they changed how they lived and worked. Look back in verse twenty. It says the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel told them. The story of the shepherds begins and ends in the same place. It begins and ends in the same place, them watching over their flocks. However, they went back to their flocks transformed. See, at the beginning of the story, they were simple shepherds doing shepherd things. At the, end, at the beginning of the story, at the end of the story, these shepherds continued to watch over their sheep, but now they did it while glorifying and praising God. Notice it says they went back to their flocks 
glorifying and praising God. The fact that it says they glorified and praised God, that matters. Because it speaks to a totality. Everything they did was about God. When it says they went back to their flocks glorifying God, it means that the way they did, did their job brought God glory. It means it pleased God how they did their job. Why? Because when we love Jesus and are living according to his will, we treat everything as worthy of our best. It means we give our best at the office. It means we give our best when we're doing our household chores. It means we give our best in our parenting. It means we give our best even if we, even if we have to do something we don't really want to do. We still give our best because we want to honor God. We give all that we have to everything we do. So that's glorifying God. But it also says they went back to their flocks praising God. Now, praising God is different than glorifying God. Praising God is pointing all the attention to him. Praising God means living a life of thanksgiving. Thanking God for the work. Thanking God while you work. Giving God all the praise, giving God all the props for anything good that happens in your life. But see, I think too many Christians compartmentalize their faith. Right? Jesus gets an hour or two on Sunday, but we handle Monday through Friday. For many of us, we struggle in seeing our job as a way of glorifying and praising God. We gather at the water cooler at the office and complain about work as much as everyone else. As soon as we get home from work, we begin bad-mouthing our boss to our spouse and to our kids. I think if we were honest with ourselves, church, we would admit we aren't great at glorifying and praising God in our work life. Hear me, church. When we encounter Jesus, a response is required. But if we know who Jesus is, then why is our response so limp? If we know who Jesus is, why do we continue to control our lives? If we know who Jesus is, why do we continue to only speak his name when we want something? If we know who Jesus truly is, why do we continue to only have anything to do with him on Sunday morning? If we know who Jesus is, why are we not running to him as often as we can. If we know who Jesus truly is, why are we not telling everyone we meet about him and what he's done in our lives? If we know who Jesus is, why are we not praising and glorifying him every day in our work life? If we truly know who Jesus is, why don't we truly live for Jesus? Yeah, that's not a rhetorical question. I don't want you to answer it back, but I want you to answer that to yourself. If we truly know who Jesus is, why don't we truly live for him? Maybe it helps if we look at the question from a different angle. If we aren't truly living for Jesus, then we don't truly know Jesus. If we don't truly know Jesus, we can't truly live for Jesus. And so the story of the shepherds places these questions at our feet. And so you've heard the scripture. You've heard the sermon. So now the question is, how will you respond? 
Will you choose to rush to Jesus? Will you forget about trying to fix everything by yourself and just surrender to the Christ child? Will you lay down your need for control and surrender to him? Will you lay down your pride and, and need to make everyone believe your life is perfect and just run to Jesus because you know that you're broken and you need a Savior? Will you speak the name of Jesus in your daily life? Will you speak the life found in Jesus into the dead lives that you encounter? Will you speak the hope that's found in Jesus into the lives of the lonely? Will you speak the peace found in Jesus into the lives of those battling confusion? Will you speak the forgiveness found in Jesus into the lives of those suffering from shame and guilt? Will you speak the love found in Jesus into the lives of the unloved? Will you speak the mercy found in Jesus into the lives of those feeling judged? Will you choose today, church, to speak Jesus not out of obligation, but out of love? So if you know you need to run to Jesus this morning, I want you to know, as always, this area down front is open to you. You can come kneel on these pillows. You can stand down here, and someone will meet you here, and we will pray for you. I want you to understand, no matter how bad you quote-unquote smell this morning, Jesus is here. And he's ready to pour out love and mercy and grace and forgiveness on you. So don't stay where you are, but take the trip from your seat to these pillows and meet the Christ child. <laughs> Maybe you know you have been hesitant to speak the name of Jesus at your office or at your school. You've been in certain situations in the past week or the past month where someone is suffering and you felt uh, like you should probably speak Jesus into that situation, but you were intimidated and you held back. If so, then today I want you to take time to repent of that and ask for the courage to speak the name of Jesus in the future. Or maybe you struggle with glorifying and praising God in your work life. This morning, you know you grumble and complain about your job or, you, or your boss or your coworkers. And if so, I want you to take time today and repent of that as well. Then ask the Holy Spirit to help you do all that you do in a way that brings glory to God. But here's the question. <clears throat> Would the people in our lives say we love Jesus? I'll be honest with you. I don't want to ask myself that question. But do the people in my life know I love Jesus? Do the people in your life know you love Jesus? If you want to take that a step farther and really be scared out of your mind, ask your family members that question about yourself. Ask your spouse, do you know I love Jesus? Ask your kids, do you know I love Jesus? You might not like the response, but you can do something about it. You can hurry to him. You can bow down before the Christ child. Do people know you love Jesus? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. I thank you for showing us how much you love us by taking on flesh, 
being born of a virgin in a, in a dirty manger, surrounded by animals, leaving your throne in heaven to become a baby. We thank you for your love, Lord. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for not returning that love all the time. Forgive us for not loving you the way we should love you. Lord, help us this week if we're in situations where people are struggling. Help us to have the courage this week to speak the name of Jesus, to speak the hope of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the love of Jesus into that situation. Let us not worry about the consequences. Let us not worry about what people might think of us. Let us just speak life and hope into people's lives. Lord, help us hurry to you this week. I know there's a lot going on this time of year. We've got a lot of Christmas parties. We've got Christmas shopping. A lot of stuff we've got to do. But, Lord, let us not neglect hurrying to the manger every single day. Spending time in prayer and study. Lord, help us live lives, that, whether it's our work life or our life outside of work, that glorify and praise you. So that on our deathbed, we would hear people share with us that how we lived our lives showed the world just how much we love you. Lord, let it be so. Help us love you the way we're meant to. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.